Now, we are in Sermon on the Mount, and we're getting into the part where Jesus is going to take a law and then move it to the heart to show that we all need that righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, that it's not just about checking a box, but it's about living faithfully. So I want to read this morning's passage from Matthew chapter 5 on the law of murder and the larger heart issue of hatred and anger um, before we get into it. Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, keep our hearts gentle this morning. And we know that much goes on inside of us that is not from you, but that we focus far too often just on appearances. So help us this morning hear what Jesus has said, to realize what Jesus has for us, and we prayed in his name. Amen. You've likely said this phrase, or at least heard it, but I'm going to guess you've said it at some point in time in your life. Well, at least I've never killed anyone. That's that kind of the, like, that's the litmus test for are you good or not. Like, well, how good are you? Have you done good things or bad things? Like, of course I've done bad things, but I've never killed anybody. Like, that's always where, like, it stops there. If you're on the other side of that and you've murdered, game over. So, like, in our world, we kind of, any, you could be as bad as you want, but as long as you haven't killed anybody, you're good. It's just kind of how we feel. At least I haven't killed anyone. It's not like I've ever killed anybody, right? If somebody gets mad at you for something that you've done, like, you're talking to me like I've killed someone. It's a fairly common way for us to do that kind of box checking. I didn't do this, thus I am that. I didn't do the worst thing, so I'm okay. I'm not this kind of person, so you should approve of me. I don't have these kinds of problems, so there. Everybody can get mad. It's all with what you do with your anger, right? I harness my anger into creativity, or I harness my anger into smiling, or I harness my anger into productivity. That's what I do with it. Like, well, I'm still angry. (laughs) At least I haven't killed anybody. Now, taking life, literally taking life is a serious offense, It's not just serious for God's people, where God has clearly spoken that that is not to be done. You go all the way back into Genesis, and you see murder happening early, Cain killing Abel for his offering. The taking of life is a serious, serious thing. And it is not just those who are religious who feel that way. In fact, most cultures, you will find, have some type of recognition of murder 
and it being wrong, or some type of penalty that involves taking your life if the offense is significant enough. So there is this kind of this part of us that's inherent that life is different. You can punish somebody in many ways, but taking a life is irreversible. We should consider it seriously, so I get why we jump to, well, I haven't killed anybody. But the problem is relationally, right? And I just mean how we operate together with uh, dads and sons, or brother to brother, or brother to sister, or friend to friend, or neighbor to friend, or church member to church member. We're all relational. God has built us to be relational, to operate together, to learn to live together in this funky life. But we often view our relationships in light of, you know, what's the worst thing we could do to somebody? We'll say to somebody relationally, like, we'll go, I know I hurt you, but you should just get over it. Like, that was a year ago. That was six months ago. Why why does that even still bother you? Just get over it. The longer that you exist in any church, the more relational carnage you will see. No, we don't go there anymore. We can't see that person. Or we had a bad hang up with that person at one point in time. Or we had some issue with that person. Or that family looked at us funny. Or that family hurt me in a business deal. Or that person did that. Or, uh, you know, somebody walks in that you'd hope you'd never see again in your life. And they come into your church and you're like, I think I need a new church. Right? We have all of these relational things that go on with us that really reveal an ugly part of our heart. And it's interesting that the way that we operate together often looks a lot like the world and not like our Lord. So this morning, as we get into the first of these statements that Jesus makes through the rest of chapter 5, on you've heard it said this, he'll go to law, he'll then expand it to heart, then there's this kind of application idea that he brings. And he does it really quickly. He doesn't expound on the law. He broadens, shows the heart, which is all that he's doing throughout the sermon is expanding, showing you this is what was really going on. You can't just say, well, I haven't done this, so I'm good. Because there's still all kinds of stuff going on inside of you that isn't good. So we're going to see that we can't just focus on action and be okay in our relationships, but we have to focus on heart. So we'll hear these teachings that we've commonly heard. He talks about that, he talks about marriage, he talks about lust, he talks about yes and no, let your yes be yes and your no be no, just as we heard in James, we talked about eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's going to go to all these things that a good Jewish person would follow and do. I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this. But then he shows you the heart. This is what you should be doing always. This is how you should be approaching it. So we'll see in this the law statement, the heart statement, and the application. The first statement we'll see early on right there in verse 21. That murdering another brings judgment. Murdering brings judgment. That should be clear. Like we don't want a world where there isn't some type of penalty for taking a life. So we should probably all go, yeah, it would make sense that there's going to be some type of judgment for murdering. Verse 21, 
You have heard it was said to those of old, so he's not starting something new, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now the statements that Jesus will be using are coming out of different parts of the Old Testament, but this one's right up there in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. That's why he's saying you've heard it said to those of old, your ancestors, you've heard it said you shouldn't do this. And this has been one of God's expectations for his people, that murder was not permissible before the Ten Commandments. God is just clarifying it. Like we said uh, in early in Genesis with Cain killing Abel for his offering, murder is not okay. It didn't become outlawed at the Ten Commandments, but it became clarified. My people are not going to murder, not going to take life. Why? Remember Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. To take a life of another human is a serious offense. To end the life of another person is a serious offense. We're created in God's image and to murder somebody completely disregards the reality that they are created and exist in the image of God. So if you murder, you suffer, suffer judgment. You can't just get away with it. There are significant consequences that comes upon the person who has murdered. Not as significant as the consequences that come upon the person who was murdered. That's why it's so serious. The one who does it would not get away with it. Now most people in the world, and this is a good thing, haven't murdered haven't ended a life angrily with some kind of odd zeal or some kind of sin going on in you. You have not ended another person's life. But what does Jesus do? Well, he knows what murder is like the end game of something else that's already been going on. So if we just say don't do this, There's a lot of stuff that you could still be feeling, experiencing, and showing, speaking, living like that might get you there, for one, but reflect somebody who's going to get there, potentially. So verse 22, he says it like this, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The heart point is this. Anger and insults reveal a murderous heart. Murderous heart. So anger and insults, anybody who feels this, says this, yells out, and who's never done that? Watch your siblings get mad at each other for something. Stop doing that. I hate you. Those phrases just come out. Now, just for a second, I won't get into this every single time, but Jesus is also doing something unique. So teachers of the law would say the law says this, and they would spend some time then trying to explain how it would look or how they are to live or how they are to live out whatever's spoken in the law. But what is Jesus doing? He's saying, you've heard this, but I say this. 
Jesus is taking his authority as God and helping you understand speaking. Remember we said last week, God is always speaking, speaking more clearly to you as to what should be done. Now, just for a second, there are certain fireable offenses for me at Genesis. And one of them might be if I say something like this. I go, hey guys, you've read this before, we've all heard this before, but let me tell you a new way to understand this. I know what it says, it says this, but I say to you this morning, I say this. If I start taking the words of scripture and saying to you, oh yeah, well, you've heard one thing, but let me tell you like the, right, the Googler version, let me tell you that, GSV or whatever you want. That I should no longer be employed here to take the words of Scripture and go, well, let me tell you what, let me tell you this. Jesus has a different kind of authority, doesn't it? His authority is recognized by anybody who would hear him teach. You're different. You teach with authority. So Jesus is able in his role as God and as word to say, you've heard this, but let me point to you, point you to all that it was intending to do. Remember how he said he came to fulfill it? And that we need a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees could go, I haven't murdered. But every time, Jesus is going to get this more broad. And essentially, all of us then get in the broader category. All of us go, well, I haven't done this, but I've done that. I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done all those things. So Jesus is setting himself up as an authority on the law. Not just, he's not under the law. Jesus is actually though he's in submission to it, living it out, he's an authority over the law. He's not, he's not subordinate to the law. He fulfills it, shows us the Father through it, but he's not under it like we are because he's God. His intent in this world and on this earth is completely different. So he's broadening broadening what was meant, the true intent, the fulfilling version of what do not murder actually means. And it goes to the way you act, the way you feel, the way you believe. So then you heard Hannah say it in the video, has anyone ever been angry with somebody? And we'll just kind of go from the church. You ever been in a church or been, you know, where you've been angry with somebody? Is anybody even, don't, don't raise your hand, anybody even angry right now for some reason? Something bugs you. You're just seething over something. You're bothered by something. Someone said something to you. Or perhaps you're like at a party and you're ready to leave, but you park in the park. This is what I do. I park in the driveway so that I'm the last car in the driveway so that I can be the first one to leave. Little little hack, right? So I don't want to get too far forward because if I get stuck, well, then there's always the person that seems to go, oh, I'll just park right. You know, I'll just park like, you know, tee it off and I'll be in the road behind the driveway. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then all of a sudden, right, where do I go? My, my, my day is done. My day is done. I was coaching a baseball game like a week ago, and something happened in the first inning. And I was so annoyed that basically the rest of the game, I was like, how many runs can we score on this team? Twelve was the answer, just in case you wanted to know. What could we do? How could we get this thing done? I was so, right, it's just like one little thing. 
a kid throws a ball in the house and hits you on the side of the head. And you've never been as angry as you've been. Some people have like a, hey, don't touch my head. Mine is the nose. Like if I get hit in the nose, the gloves come off. It does something in me. I remember one time I was helping to lead mission trips and a guy erroneously hit me in the nose while he was moving something. And I haven't spoken with him since. It's because I don't really know who he is. Uh, He was just there to visit, but it's funnier to put it that way. You've probably been talking to somebody and they're not listening. And you go, are you listening to a word that I've said? Are Are you even in the conversation right now? Are you paying any attention to anything that is going on? And all of a sudden, right, game over. Righteousness score, zero. Like, you're, like, you're just done. Well, just as murder results in judgment, Jesus essentially goes, all those things that you're feeling, all those things going on in you, all those things that come out of your mouth in that moment, yeah, that receives judgment too. Murder might be step, you know, 200 on that scale, but you're already headed in that direction. You're already moving in that direction. Because once you get angry, what does life become about? You. How you see it, how you feel about it, what you want to do, how you want to approach it, everything becomes about you, your concern, not the Lord's. And in all those moments between, you know, step one and whatever, you can still say, yeah, but I haven't killed anybody. And you'll say it more loudly and more angrily and more proudly. All the while, you're rotting inside because something has gripped you and it can't leave. That's the thing Jesus is doing through all of these. That greater righteousness, that greater life, the good life that seems to exist in a totally other world because it comes from a totally different place, comes from him. You don't just want a world where no one's murdered anybody. It can still be pretty miserable, can't it? Or a house where, well, at least we're not punching each other. Yeah, but verbal jabs, sometimes I'm like, I'd rather you punch me than say it like that. You ever said phrases like this? Are you an idiot? No one? Just me? How stupid do you have to be to say that? Are you listening to anything I'm saying? Only a fool would do that. Are you incompetent? Did you go to college? Did you graduate from high school? Do you know anything? How in the world, right, all these things start to come out of us, right? Sounds a lot like the person saying, you fool, doesn't it, that Jesus is quoting. You fool. We just have different ways to say it. 
heart, heart, heart. You might not have taken a life, but your heart is getting ready. You've been filled with anger and with rage and frustrations. And you're parading around your credentials with the at least I haven't killed anybody card. I'm like, yeah, but you're still really a miserable person. Just through and through. Because you're concerned about some kind of external formation. Some sort of look. But it's all about what's going on here that then transforms you. Those living for the Lord should look and be and speak and live differently. Remember, we have a different set of values and a different way of living and a different way of understanding what we're seeing here in the Scriptures. We don't just go, well, I didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that. So, you know, Lord, here I am. I'm good. <clears throat> we want to live a good life. A life that is entered into by God and is sustained by God and has lived for God. And we shouldn't be satisfied simply by saying, yeah, well, at least I haven't. <clears throat> You're lucky I didn't say what I was feeling. Instead, we should be humble people. A repentant people who turn from that when it shows. Let the Spirit convict us and to respond to the Lord in obedience. Now, obedience looks unique to us here because Jesus is about to move us to an application. And he does this not in every single one of these, specifically in the divorce one. That's the shortest treatment. It's like two verses. But he's going to generally give a law, don't do this, heart, but I say, and an application. Now, the application's interesting. The application's interesting because Jesus doesn't go, so don't yell at people. He doesn't say, don't be angry. He moves to restoration in relationships. That's his application for how to fulfill this greater type of life. Relationally, making amends. So look in verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly. This is the second illustration. Come to terms quickly with your accuser so they're taking you to court. While you are going with him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison, I'll say to you there, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So now Jesus gives two illustrations. Don't murder, but I say to you, anyone who has anger, anyone who yells out, you fool, anyone who does that is going to suffer judgment. So if you're going to go worship, reconcile with somebody, if you know they have something against you or you have something against them. If somebody is bringing you to court, try to settle out of court so that you don't have to go through the entire process, but make it right because you'd rather make it right now than have to go through that entire process and then now you got everything levied against you and you got to pay up. So the application isn't don't be angry. That's another box we could check because we're only going to really know it by looking at you. Well, you don't look angry. Your face isn't red. You're smiling, not angry. But he moves to something much more difficult, which is that posture that keeps us repentant which is reconciliation now let's look at this first one 
Someone comes to Jerusalem to offer a gift. Remember where Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching around Galilee on the Sermon on the Mount. So these people will have traveled from Galilee, most of them more than likely, to Jerusalem. They've made a long journey. They get there with all their stuff, and they remember that there is something unreconciled in a relationship. Leave it there, and then even if you have to, I know this is just an illustration, even if you have to, go all the way back to Galilee. Reconcile it, then come back and offer your gift. There's some type of tension. Jesus says, leave it. It isn't about your external worship anyways. So don't just bring the gift and look right. Go be right with somebody and then come and offer the gift. Go reconcile with your brother. That's a pretty long journey to take. But reconciliation takes considerable effort. What do we like to do? Sweep it under the rug. Oh, it's no big deal. I'm like, really? Because every single time we've talked, it's leaked out. You sure it's not a big deal? Because you always mention it. Or in some argument, it comes back out. So clearly, it's a bigger deal than you're saying it is. It matters to you. It's bothered you. So we just go, oh, that's a long journey back to Galilee with my gift. I don't know. Let me just go. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's not a big deal. Offer my gift, and then if we have an opportunity later, we'll just go do that. The effort of reconciliation is hard, especially if you've wounded somebody with your words. Because they don't want to see you, and you don't want to see them. But what is Jesus saying to those who are listening? In a sense, he's going, you lead the process. You step out. Don't wait for somebody to come to you and say, hey, are we good? You go to them and you ask them, hey, are we good? Don't be passive in it. If you see something going on, if you know there's tension, go make it right and then go worship. That's a really hard thing to do because it takes, one, a lot of humility. Especially if you think you were wronged. Especially if you think you were wronged. I'm going to wait for them to come talk to me. And until then, I'm just going to be mad. Now, reconciliation in this takes two people, doesn't it? And you have to have one person... Asking forgiveness, the other person saying, I forgive you, or however that might look. There's, there's some effort here on both sides. One person might go, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Which, of course, would hurt. But the potential that that might come should not change the follower of Jesus going and seeking to be reconciled with his brother or sister. It's costly. It costs you your pride your ego, your feelings of the other person. Sometimes we feel wrong and we just want to, we love feeling wronged. It's like it gives us a new purpose in life. Well, at least I haven't done that. Well, the moment you say that, what have you done? The second illustration is just about court. And if you have not been around church life long enough to not think that we don't sue one another, we do. We do. And so there's two people who have an issue, and that issue is going to the courts. Jesus says in this 
in this illustration, don't let the courts decide. Make it right. Settle it. Which again talks about the urgency of making relationships right. The urgency of making relationships right. Then the Apostle Paul say a similar thing in the letter to the Corinthians. He, he, in a sense, tells them, how in the world, why are you going before the courts to deal with your own issues? You should deal with your issues and not have to go to the courts. Are there times when you have to go to secular courts to address something? Absolutely. But are there fewer times than exist? Yes. As people who follow the Lord and have the Spirit and can pursue Him with joy who understand what it's like to be reconciled because though we were far from God and enemies of God, he, through his son, made us right. We should be the first in line to make things right with others because God has made things right with us. He has provided the way. Now what happens if we don't do these things? What happens if we don't pursue reconciliation? What happens if we don't make it right with somebody? What happens if we don't live this out? You probably know because you're experiencing it in some way, shape, or form. You stay angry. Anger is a funny thing. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's like a drug. You just keep feeling it. Keep feeling it. Keep feeling it. Stays in your system. We've learned to put on, I've learned, many of you have probably learned to put on a veneer of kindness or gentleness. At least I haven't murdered anybody. I have dreams. This is no joke. I'll have dreams sometimes where I just unleash on people. Won't tell tell you if you're the person. I just, have, I just unleash. And you know where it comes from? It comes from some previous relationship or something that happened. And then I have this moment where I'm like, my goodness gracious, there is way more in me than I thought there was. I've had to call people, <clears throat> dear friends, people I love, <clears throat> and say, hey, for the past five months, I've been mad at you. And I've acted like I haven't unfair for me to do that. It's unfair for me to feel that way. It's unfair for me to apply that to you. But quite honestly, I've just been mad at you. These are people I've loved deeply. These are people I've known 20 plus years where I've had to say, this is how I felt. This is what I've seen. This is what's going on. I've been mad at you. I've had to do this with a mentor of mine. Just been bugged. It's hard. Because there's this thing in us that makes us feel justified being angry. Notice what we've stopped talking about, though murder. Stop talking about murder. Because we're all guilty of anger. Many of us likely guilty even right now in our anger. 
So I would say is this, reconcile quickly so hatred doesn't take hold. We reconcile quickly so hatred doesn't take hold. What relationship do you have that might need a conversation or two or three? Where you might need to go to somebody and go, are we good? Did I offend you when I said that? Don't even guess. Just ask. Did I offend you when I said that? Should I have said that? Did that hurt? Remember one time, somebody went to somebody <clears throat> talking about relationships because they're the messiest things in the world and just said, just had this sense like, have I done something to harm you? Because there was just this sense that things were off. Sometimes it even takes a while to be like, actually, yeah, yeah, you did. And then to end it with, will you forgive me? And not that kind of arrogant, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. I'm sorry that you were bothered by what I said. I'm sorry that you couldn't handle it. Those kinds of things that we do to make them also to diminish them as we speak, but just to say, will you forgive me? Why? Because we belong to the Lord. And he has a different way for us to operate. We don't operate in anger and frustration and retaliation. That's the world's way. The Lord's way is completely different. So consider the example that we have of Jesus spoken in Romans. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ made the way to reconcile us to the Father long before we might have even known our need. He moved toward us. Even while he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he was doing that work of reconciliation. He had already come into the world and he had a destination that was going to end with men and women and children able to come to the Father through him and the sacrifice that he has done. Christ showed us the greater righteousness, that he is the way. The righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. Those in him are not satisfied with external applications of truth, but we want to see it applied to the deepest parts of us. We shouldn't be satisfied saying, well, I haven't done the worst thing, or I haven't been the worst person, or you should have known what I was thinking. If you knew what I was thinking, you'd be so glad I said what I said. What kind of loving, gracious, kind, relational response is that? Oh no, I thought way worse of you than I said. You should thank me. For what? For what? We need something more. But more than we need something more, we need someone more. Only Jesus has lived this type of life, but he offers himself to us. That his righteousness be applied to us. With the spirit in us, we're able to respond to those missteps in our hearts with both grace and the empowerment to go live reconciled lives with our brothers and sisters. 
It's part of the good life. Living in good, harmonious, reconciled relationships with those in our lives because God has done the same for us.